Well, sisters and brothers, uh, this is the first Sunday of Advent, and so let me welcome you, especially those of you who are visiting this morning. It is good to have you here with us. Uh, just as a personal aside, let me say uh, thank you to Stan Johnson, uh, who preached last week in my absence. Uh, the, the Deck family uh, caravaned, uh, uh, or we just drove, down to Texas over Thanksgiving. It was four days of driving for three days of fun. What could go wrong? Um, so... It was a good journey, but it was a lengthy journey, and we are, it is good to be back here and to not be in the car. So, um, but we are excited about this season of Advent, and in order to kind of kick us off this season, we're going to start by looking um, at the letter to the Thessalonians, the first letter to the Thessalonians that Paul writes, chapter 3, verses 9 through 13. Paul says this, How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let us pray. God, we gather on this bright, shiny Sunday, Lord, the first Sunday of Advent. We are reminded this morning that you have come and that you will come again. And so I pray, Lord, that as we enter into this busy season where we are rushing this way and that, that in these moments on Sundays, you would create space. That we would enter into that space. That we would feel your presence. That we would be reminded of what it means that you came 2,000 years ago and that you promise to return. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So if you were here with us over the last few months, you know that we were talking about being shaped like Jesus. And that series has come to an end, but hopefully you realize that that's not the last that you will hear about that. I think the sense of being shaped like Jesus is this great message that gives us clarity as to why it is that we are here. And so we've been looking at 2 Corinthians uh, and about how, how God or about how Paul writes that our lives should be coming brighter and more beautiful as God enters into them and we become more like him. One of our major drives here at ZPC is to help one another to be shaped more and more like Jesus Christ. And so we'll continue to be talking about that in the weeks and months and hopefully even years ahead. What does it look like for us to look more and more like Jesus? Now, in all actuality, we could have continued that 
theme, that series, into Advent because the things that we're going to be talking about during this Advent season are the traditional things that you talk about, things like hope and joy and love and peace. And all of these things, of course, are also attributes of Jesus. And they are attributes that all of us should be trying to grow and embody in the days ahead. And today, what we're going to look at more specifically is that theme of hope. Now, interestingly enough, a couple weeks ago, uh, I had a meal, a a lunch one time with one person, and then the next morning, a breakfast with somebody else, and unsolicited, both of them said, you know what, it feels to us, like in our society right now, one of the greatest things that we're struggling with is there's this sense of hopelessness. It feels like people are just down and there's no real sense of hope. And, 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 you know, I have to say that by and large, that seems to be true. I mean, whenever you turn on the news or if you listen to your neighbor, if you listen to yourself, if you see the growing epidemic of things like opioid use or suicides, all of these things, it seems to me, speak to this sense of, of growing almost anxiety and hopelessness. And we know, of course, that, that in the scriptures, again and again, we are told that we are called to be a people of hope. In fact, Hebrews 11.1, 1, when it's talking about our faith, it says that faith is the substance of things. Oh, it's old King James. Hoped for the evidence of things not seen. And probably one of the more prolific authors when it comes to hope is the Apostle Paul. And if there's one person that it would be wise to listen to when it comes to hope, it would be somebody like Paul. Because Paul is not somebody for whom everything is just going swimmingly. Paul is always, it seems like, on the run. Always in fear of being persecuted. At times thrown in jail. At times shipwrecked and and stranded on an island. I mean, things are not always perfect for Paul. And yet Paul seems to have a sense of the importance and seems to embody hope. Even in this letter to the Thessalonians, it may not, this passage may not expressly say the word hope, but clearly the whole letter is talking about encouraging and and bringing hope to the Thessalonians, a people who are undergoing a great amount of persecution. Now, I realize that it's kind of hard when you just jump into the middle of a letter like we did, that, it, that you may not know exactly what's going on. So give me just one quick moment to express kind of what's happening. If you go to Acts 17, don't do it right now, you can, but in Acts 17, Paul uh, is talking about, or Paul, it's talked about, Luke is telling us about how Paul and Silas go into Thessalonica for the very first time. And they go there, of course, in order to spread the gospel, in order to tell people about Jesus. And, and, and Acts tells us that many people began to follow Jesus because of what Paul and Silas were saying. And so this is all great, but then after about three Sabbaths, or three weeks, all of of a sudden, uh, things begin to kind of go off the rails. There is a mob, we are told, that is searching for Paul and Silas, which if there's a mob searching for you, that's probably not good, right? And so, so, so they're trying to hide, and when they can't find Paul and Silas, they grab some believers. One of their names, we are told, is Jason, um, which I think is kind of weird. Uh, Jason doesn't seem really like much of a biblical name, does it? It's like Colin or Hunter. There's nobody else... These are the things that I think about. It's just kind of a weird name, right? It should be like Jasonius or something. But Jason, we're told, they find Jason and the believers and they they, they throw him in jail. And and so this is not good. And some of the other uh, uh, followers of Jesus, they take Paul and Silas and they rush him out of Thessalonica. 
Well, that, of course, would be, you know, very emotional. But, but one of the things that we know is it's very difficult on Paul because Paul had only been there for three weeks, and he's passionate about Jesus. He'd grown to love this church, this small church in Thessalonia, and now he doesn't know what is happening to them. And he, he couldn't send them. He couldn't make a phone call. He couldn't send a text. He couldn't check Facebook or Instagram. There was no way for him to know what was happening. And had they died? Were they, were they, were they growing? Had they given up? What had happened? And he didn't know. In fact, earlier in the book, he says something about the fact that, that, they, that Paul and Silas felt like they were orphans, right? Which is this great kind of image of how distraught and separated he felt and how difficult that was. Finally, Paul couldn't handle it any longer. So he sends Timothy, which is, I guess, smart, right? Why go and get persecuted? So you send Timothy, and Timothy goes, and then he returns, And Timothy tells Paul that things are going amazingly well. That the church there is flourishing. And Paul is so excited. In fact, this is only, I think it's four chapters in all. It's a fairly succinct letter. 37 times he talks about how thankful he is that they are doing so well. He does it so much that you get a sense that he's actually a little bit surprised. Right? Maybe you've had this experience. I had experienced this at times with my kids when I, I, I come into a room and I see two kids and, and, and they're playing together and it looks like they actually love each other. And I think, they listen to me. Right? And it's like this great excitement and you thank them and you tell them what a great job. Why? Both because you're happy and because you are surprised. Right? And this is exactly, I think, what you see. I mean, Paul is so excited. He loves them. Most of the letters that Paul writes to churches, he's like, oh, geez, why are you guys messing up again? Come on, people, but not this one. If you ever want to be encouraged, then read 1 Thessalonians. Paul is so excited. But here's the other thing that Paul knows which is that persecution is genuinely happening. And so even though he is exciting and celebrating it, he also has to begin to figure out how can I continue to encourage them even from a distance? How can I try and bring them sunsets of hope so that they don't give up no matter how difficult it is and even though I can't be there close to them? And so what does Paul do? Well, Paul, and he does this in many other places as well, Paul points then, why should you be a people of hope? And in verse 13, we see exactly why it is that Paul says this. He says, may the Lord so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. What Paul is saying there is that true, genuine, enduring hope is found in our belief that one day Jesus will return. That our hope is based on the reality of who Jesus is, on what Jesus has done, and on the reality that Jesus is coming back. Right? And this is one of the reasons why we have the season of Advent. We have created space in our liturgical calendar to always be reminded of this. Now, I know 
that for the vast majority of folks, when it comes to Advent, what they think about is simply the fact that Jesus came once, right? That he, he came, that he was born 2,000 years ago. Everything in our kind of church culture, by and large, will direct us in that direction. Most, of course, of what happens in our own culture will direct us towards Santa Claus, right? And that's another sermon for another day. But here in Advent, what we also want to point out is not just that Jesus has come, but that Jesus is going to come again. And this is critical for us because we believe as followers of Jesus, much as Revelation says, that when Jesus returns, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We believe that justice will finally come to full fruition when Jesus returns, right? How does Amos, Amos puts it that at that point, then justice will roll down like the waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. Revelation, right, continues to tell us that at this point, Jesus will wipe away all of our tears, that death and mourning will be no more. And so we are excited about the reality of Jesus' return, that it is there that our hope is based upon, and it is only with that eternal perspective that we can ever be a people of hope. You see, if you asked me, why is it that you think so often Our society struggles when it comes to hope. While I am certain that there are various and sundry reasons, I would suggest that one of the greatest reasons is because our society does not have that eternal perspective on life. And that far too many don't realize, fail to realize that we are not at the end of the story. That the end of the story is actually happening when Jesus returns, but rather we are at the middle of the story. We are in the middle of the story. And and what happens is when you focus on the middle as if it is the end, then everything becomes a life or death situation. When you focus on the middle and you think this is all there is, then all of your hopes, all of your dreams, all of your aspirations, all of your focus comes to what is happening right now rather than on ultimately the reality that God is the one who will bring this whole story of the world and of your life to an end. And whenever you focus and you cannot wait for the end and whenever you focus on the present as if it is the end, it will inevitably lead to frustration, to depression, and to hopelessness. Here's what I mean. So, so I have children, as many of us do, and one of the things that happens is our children are, it seems like the end of the world is almost always happening. Right? And they'll, they'll be there and they'll just be weeping and you'll be like, oh my goodness, what happened? You know, maybe they've come home from school and they'll say, you didn't pack fruit snacks for me this morning. And you'll think, fruit snacks? Okay. It seems like a bit of an overreaction. Okay. Or or one of our punishments is that we take away minutes from television. So we'll oftentimes say, okay, you're missing five minutes of television. And they will flop on the ground as if this was the worst possible thing that could ever happen. 
And it makes us, of course, I mean, very frustrated because you want to be like, what's wrong with you, right? But, but when you begin to think about it a little bit, it makes all the sense in the world. You see, the perspective of our children, uh, by and large, it is very small. Their world is very small. Right? And they don't quite yet understand that there are children, you know, who don't have clean water. There are children who don't have a roof over their head. So, so fruit snack, probably not a big deal. But that's all that they know. And so all of a sudden that becomes huge for them. But it happens with good things too, of course. I mean, every once in a while, right, when we're uh, feeling very generous, we'll let them stay up 30 extra minutes. You would have thought that Disney World had come to our house because they are so elated. They can't believe it. Are you kidding me? 30 extra minutes and you want to be like, you know, there's going to be better things in your life than this. But you don't tell them that, but you think it. See, what happens is that when your perspective is so skewed and is so small, then every single thing that happens becomes life or death. Everything that happens, it either brings you euphoria or it makes you absolutely depressed and without any sense of hope. You see, when you begin to think that what's happening right now in the here and now, that this is all there is, then we cannot help but to be led to hopelessness. I mean, think about it. You see it all the time. Maybe it's at election time, right? Maybe it was when Barack Obama or Donald Trump was elected, right? And for some, it was like, finally, now things are going to be put to right at long last. Or you were like, this is it. It's all over. And as soon as you begin to pin all of your hopes and everything onto a particular party or a particular person, I am here to tell you, you will be disappointed and you will eventually become a person without hope because they will always let you down. Maybe it's a a grade that you wanted to get. Maybe it's a particular college that you waited for when you were growing up to get into. Maybe it's a job that you felt like you needed to have. Maybe it's a spouse that you wanted. Maybe it's whatever it may be. When all of your hopes and all of your desires and all of your focus begins to be put upon those things that are in the middle of the story, then you will inevitably become anxious and hopeless. It is only when you begin to cultivate an ability to wait, knowing that the story, the conclusion is not yet here. Only then will you be able to live with some sense of hope in our world. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't get engaged in politics. It doesn't mean that you, sh- you know, that, that you should never be disappointed if things don't go well in your life. That's not what it means at all. I'll talk about this more in a minute. But what it does mean is that when you begin to see the present through the perspective of the fact that Jesus is one day going to return and he is going to end this story, then it begins to change how you understand everything that is happening right now. Now, you see, the eternal perspective is important not only because it helps us to understand these things, but I think also 
because it allows us to wrestle with our own imperfections and brokenness in a much deeper manner. Sometimes people, it seems like they think that what hope is, hope is when you kind of act as if everything is great, even when it's not. And, and, and you just kind of, you, you live in this kind of strange world where all you can think about are all good, comfortable, warm, fuzzy kinds of things, and you're oblivious to the, to, to the brokenness of our world or of ourselves. And I want you to know, I think that actually, when you understand things through an eternal perspective and that Jesus is returning, it allows you to take more seriously your own struggles, right? So think about this. This is this great line. I love it in uh, in 1 Thessalonians. Paul, I told you already, how many times, who can remember this? I'm actually interested in this. How many times did Paul give thanks for the Thessalonians? 37 it is. So you're thinking, this is good stuff. This is wonderful. Paul's just like, man, you guys are the best. And then he says, I cannot wait to see you face to face. And you're like, all right. And if you finished it, you'd be like, because I'm going to give you a big old bear hug, right? Because I am so proud of you. And this is exactly what you are expecting. But that is not what Paul says. What does Paul says? He says, oh, no, no, no. I cannot wait in order to, till I see you so that I can restore what is lacking in your faith. What? I mean, after all these good things, you would have thought, oh, no, we are perfect. And, yes, I want to see you because you're going to tell me even more how wonderful I am. And Paul says, I can't wait to see you because I'm going to tell you all the places where you are just getting it wrong. That doesn't make sense to most of us. Why can Paul just kind of do that? He doesn't even seem to preface it or anything, right? I mean, and I think that the reason why Paul can do that is because he has that eternal perspective. And here's the thing. Go with me here for just a moment. When you are able to understand that we are simply in the middle of the story, well, let let me start it like this. If you think that where we are right now is the end of the story, then you better make sure that you are always getting it right. You can never be wrong. You better get, because this is the end, so you better put all of your emphasis on making sure that you are perfect. And of course, we know what happens, which is that you realize, because we know ourselves better than anyone else, that we are not perfect, which then, of course, makes us anxious and depressed and certainly does not bring us hope. What Paul understands is because of the fact that the end is still yet to come, that of course, when you look at yourself, you're not there yet. Right? Do any of you ever, when you're kind of in a movie and, and things are really not going well, you pause it, right? And, and, and you look to see how much time is left, right? And if there's not much time left, then you get nervous because you're like, oh, it's going to end like this. But if you still have 20 minutes, you know you still have plenty of time for things to get better, right? Well, this is, I think this is exactly like this. Whenever it is, right, that, that you know that the conclusion is still off, that means I have, right here, I can continue to work on things. Of course I don't have this down yet. Of course I'm not yet perfect. Why should I be? This is the middle of the story. Henry Nouwen has this quote. He's talking about the ministry of pastorate, but I think you could say it's about the Christian faith altogether, which is that it's a very confronting service. It does not allow people to live with illusions of immortality and wholeness. It keeps reminding others that they are mortal and broken, but also that with the recognition of this condition, liberation begins. In other words, if you think this is the very end, then you will put so much focus on this that you cannot hear from anyone else, including God himself, that you may still have room to grow, that you are broken, that you are struggling. 
Now, that doesn't mean to give us license then. Well, let's just take our time. Let's not do anything. No, no, no. I think that actually it gives us energy and joy and hope and passion to be honest about those places where we can continue to grow into the future. It is incredibly relieving. It is a breath to know that we're in the middle of the story. And that God at some point will bring the perfection. But in the meantime, we can be honest about where we are and who we are and how it is that we can grow from whatever is lacking in our faith. Now, I want to say just briefly, because I want to be very clear, that being a people of hope who know that the end is yet to come does not mean that we can just do whatever it is that we want. In the tradition in which I was raised, there was so much focus on the end that basically this present time didn't matter at all. It was all just about escaping. At some point, we would just get out of this place. It would blow up, and we would move on with our heavenly lives. I don't think that's at all here what, 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 what Paul is saying or even what most of Scripture says. But I do know this, that when you know that the future is in the control of Jesus Christ and that he will bring completion, then it allows us with renewed energy and joy and peace and hope to, to, to engage in God's coming kingdom. We're going to talk about this starting in January for about two or three months, probably three months. We're going to talk about what does it mean to build for the kingdom of God. And that's what we can do when we're a people of hope and we know that this is the middle. God says you are invited to participate in the middle so that every act of love and mercy and justice that you engage in is building towards the amazing conclusion. What happens when you know the future is it changes how you see everything today. Last month, um, it was last month now, since this is December, last month, uh, 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 the girls and I, we ran down, or we, we, we drove down, to see Megan, uh, my wife, their mom, uh, run in the Monumental Marathon. She did a great job. All of our runners did a great job. It was wonderful. Um, and it reminded me of an Advent Marathon story um, that, I, that I mentioned to you guys a few years back now. What happened was, it was the first marathon I've ever run, and I always like to say it like that because then it makes me sound like I've, I've run a lot. And so it was the first one that I've ever run, and it was back in 1999, right? So 20, almost 20 years ago now, and it was in Chicago, and you know, it was, a, it was a good race. It was a long race. I mean, and so we were running, and, and so we just kept running and running. And, you know, I thought this thing was never going to end, and I was getting more and more tired. Now, I was supported and encouraged by those around me. There was, uh, I have a lot more to this sermon than what I'm going to be able to get into. But I did have one section uh, that talked about the importance of community. In fact, if you want to look a little bit earlier in the chapter, actually, Paul talks about the fact that their lives has encouraged him and has given him new life, right? We encourage and give hope to one another. And so as I was running, people were very encouraging. And that helped to give me hope that I might be able to finish. Um, as a quick, very quick aside, this, is, this has nothing to do with anything other than I want to try to be of help to you. When I ran the marathon, the day before, I had a veteran uh, marathoner tell me, you know what, if you want to be encouraged that day, if you want to have hope, he probably didn't use that word, but I'll use it, you should tape your name on the shirt so that people who don't know you can cheer you on. Well, I wanted to tape it in big letters because I knew I'd be running so fast that they would need just big letters. And so I just decided to tape on JD, right? 
brilliant. I thought, well, they'll just be encouraging JD. Now, what I didn't know until I got about halfway, well, actually, until I got about like, like five steps into the marathon, is that the D looked more like an O. Which means the whole time I was running, people were saying, go Joe! <laughs> which was hyper annoying. So, when you are encouraging one another, use their right name. Okay, that's, the, that's all the lesson that's right there, Okay. But one another, we certainly are great encouragers of hope because it's not easy to wait. It's not easy to wait. And we need support. And so, so I got that from others. It was great. And, you know, some people, when they run, they say, we just get stronger and stronger. When I run, I get more and more tired, right? And I am just ready to be done. And my hope just continued to diminish, right? About mile 24 or so, there was this guy along the sideline. And I had started walking because that's just how I do it. And so I, I started walking. And he said, you've run this far. You're going to walk now. And I couldn't decide whether to punch him or ask him how close his car was uh, so that we could just drive me home. And but, I, but I, I did kind of keep going, but I wasn't going very fast, to be sure. And, and so I got kind of towards the end, um, uh, around mile 25 or so, and, and, and then I turned right. And I was so angry because no one had told me about the mountain that was in Chicago that I would have to climb. And if you've run it, you know what I'm talking about. I called it a mountain. Some people would call it an on-ramp, but it doesn't really matter. The point is, it was incredibly steep. And I thought, this is it. There's no way. I mean, I was shuffling my feet. I feel quite certain it looked like I was actually going backwards. I mean, I was not in a good place. And just about the time I reached the snow-capped peak of this particular (laughs) mountain, I looked off into the distance, and there were these massively colorful balloons that said this great arch over it. And as I looked, I knew that that was the finish line. And you should have seen the transformation because it was immediate. Now, I'm not going to tell you that I started sprinting all of a sudden, by no means. But I will tell you that it became a fast shuffle. (laughs) And I will tell you that my spirits, all of a sudden, they began to soar. I felt like, I'm not kidding, I felt like I was floating. Everything was the same. I was still in pain. I'd still run 25 miles. You know, I had all of that. But when I saw the future that was right there and I knew that I was going to finish and that it was going to end, all of a sudden, the way I saw where I was right now, all of that began to change because I knew that it was going to end well. Everything about my present changed because I could see clearly the future. This is Advent hope. It is not to say that your life is all going to go well and that you will not have any struggles. But it is to say that in the midst of that, there is hope in the conclusion. It doesn't mean that you don't have any brokenness and that you won't struggle with your own sin, but it does mean that you can focus on the Jesus who is going to come again and who is going to give you life and hope. Sisters and brothers in Christ, 
What I want you to hear in this Advent season is that we are going to be going out and we will be full of people who will be drinking more than they should because they are without hope. We are going to see people who are driving and going this way and that because they don't want to think about how difficult their lives are and they are without hope. And when we go out there, what I want you to know is that we are a community of hope, not just because Jesus came, but because Jesus is coming again. And as we begin to live in into that future hope. It will change not just tomorrow, but today. So may we go out from this place with the hope of knowing who is going to write the end of this beautiful story. And may it change not just our tomorrow, May it change this very day. May it be so. Amen.